You don't want zero problems, big fella. Yep. If one more label try to stop me, it's gonna be some dreadhead niggas in your lobby. Yes, sir. You already know what time it is. It's the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 94. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 94 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Denzel, and we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out there who have been busting their ass battling this COVID still. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast merchandise available for purchase and the brand new Bronx Bias blog. The site where all of this is available is at bronxbiaspod.com come check it out come fuck with me on there i've got hoodies i've got t-shirts i've got tote bags i've got masks and i've got stickers with much much more items to come along with the brand new bronx bias blog this blog will serve as an extension of the podcast so to speak uh, it'll be a place where I can discuss certain topics that I couldn't cover on the show or where I had where I can cover topics that had to be edited out, you know, for certain time reasons or whatever other reasons why I couldn't cover it on that week's episode. Um, come check it out. I've got two pieces on there published right now, and I'll be trying to publish one new piece per month. Also, this is very important. The Bronx Bias blog is an open platform. So if you are a writer or artist of any kind and you would like to display or publish your work somewhere, the Bronx Bias blog could be the place for you. 
whether it's an op-ed piece, some poetry, a drawing or painting, music, or any other art form, just hit a brother up and we possibly can work together to get your stuff out there. You do not, I repeat, you do not have to be from the Bronx to have your work published to the Bronx Bias blog, so feel free to reach out. And as I've said a million and one times on this platform, I am an independent potter from the BXMY, so all the support I can receive on the merchandise and now the blog is super, super, super important and vital to the show. So please check it out if you get the chance or if you're a fan of the show and like listening. Once again, the site where the merch and the blog is at is BronxBiasPod.com. Come, come check it out. Come fuck with me. And with all of that being said, we are going to have a great, great, great show today. Fully, fully, fully packed. And I'm in an amazing mood. I'm in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, amazing, amazing song by some great, great, great artist, and it is called No Problems by Chance the Rapper featuring Lil Wayne, 2 Chains, and Ha Ha Davis. Shout out to Chance the Rapper, man. When this album came out, Coloring Book, yo, 2016, this shit was like the dopest album. We, everyone thought Chance was the future. Like It was like, a ind- I think the album was made independent. Uh, and released like on Apple with like a solo partnership and we had never seen music put out this way and Chance was like the wave of the future he was supposed to be the artist to like change everything and like show like this is the new way to make music and shit like and we were all drinking that Kool-Aid I know I was I was like this nigga Chance is dope from Chicago he's completely independent he won't let these labels tell him what to do and who to be and all that and I was completely on board like I was on the Chance hype train yo then the album won like three Grammys and we're like yo he's really gonna be the man like this guy is the future of rap music and then afterwards he crashed and burned the next album that came out it took like four three years or four years for the album to come out it was called the big day and it was absolutely trash bro it was trash in my opinion it was trash like i really disliked that album so 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 much so the fact that i had to wait four three or four years for that shit to come out and then it was absolutely trash coming off coloring book coming off acid rap the and 10 day the two mixtapes that he had before that it was just like super disappointing. Like I was so disappointed. And then in the years since, we haven't heard from Chance at all. Like at all, at all. And I'm like, where did this dude go? Like he was supposed to be the future. He was supposed to be the the next thing because he was independent and he was very a, a strong, you know, strong Christian. He was very upfront about his faith and you know, he didn't do certain things and he was a family man and all these things and he had every making to be the next star and then it just somehow some way crashed and burned. You know what I mean? Like he had a line in uh in the song Ultra Light Beam, which was on Kanye's album, The Life of Pablo, and it said, 
I met Kanye West. I uh, I met Kanye West. Ain't no way I can fail, and promptly completely failed. Like it's com- it's <laughs> it the funniest shit in the world to me. But I still believe that Chance is good. Like I still think he's a good rapper. I still think he's very talented. I still think he can be a, one of the biggest stars in music. But coming off the big day, oof, I don't know. And then the music he's put out, like little singles and little Lucy's, ever since that album came out have not been good in my opinion i don't know man i feel like he was, he would be like a one-hit wonder i i don't want that to be the case because i know he's got a lot more talent in him and i know he can do a lot more but you know if we're just basing off his most previous body of work i i don't know man i feel like he made enough i feel like he probably is like i made enough money i could take care of my wife i could take care of my kids and I'm finna chill. So we don't know what we'll see from Chance. I still think he's really good and talented. But, you know, at least we'll have Color and Book. And at least we'll have Acid Rap to lean on whenever we, we, we get nostalgic. And we miss the old Chance the Rapper. So I'm rooting for you, my bro. But uh, them, la- them recent projects, you got to do a lot better. But shout out to Chance. Shout out to Color and Book. Shout out to Lil Wayne. Shout out to Two Changes. Shout out to Haha Davis. If you don't know Haha Davis, he is one of the funniest dudes on Instagram, on Twitter. He is hilarious. He, he is one of the funniest people currently, man. He is so funny. I've been watching his videos since like 2015, bro. Like, he is so funny. So, if you haven't heard of him, check him out. And if you haven't listened to Chance, Maybe you listen to him and then you get back to me. You send me a message and let me know what you feel about his most recent body of work. Maybe I'm bugging out, but I really thought it was bad. But anyway, it was a great song. Great way to start the show. You don't want zero problems with me. Shout out to Chance the Rapper and all the other artists. Now it is time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. And it is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is a segment I like to do at the beginning of each show, just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So, without any further ado, your Bronx Fact for today is... The Kingsbridge Armory, also known as the 8th Regiment Armory, is located on West Kingsbridge Road in the Bronx. It was built in the 1910s from a design from then-state architect Louis Pilcher to house the New York's National Guard 8th Coast Defense Command, and it is possibly the largest armory in the world. In addition to its military functions, the armory has been used for exhibitions, boxing matches, and even a film set. In the year 1974, it was designated as a city landmark, and eight years later, in 1982, it was also included on the National Register of Historic Places. And that is your Bronx Fact for episode number 94. son where'd you find this all right all right we're getting right to it today we have a very 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 special guest it is only special guests that appear here on the bronx bias podcast today we have neelam patel 
who is an author, a poet, an actress, an entrepreneur with a brand new book called Burning It Down, Dancing in the Rubble. Neelam, thank you so much for coming on the show today, taking some time to talk to me. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. So can you tell the people where are some of the places that you can be reached if they want to get in contact with you or even see all the work that you're doing out here? Sure. Thank you. You can find me on all of the platforms almost. That's Instagram and Facebook is where I'm most active. And that's at Dance with Neelam. That's Dance with Neelam. And you can also find me on my website at tailoredpoetry.com. I do custom poems to make special occasions even more meaningful. And you can find my book on Amazon. That's Burning It Down, Dancing in the Rubble by Neelam Patel. All right. All right. You got to make sure that people know where to find you now because we're going to have a great convo. And I don't want them flooding my DM saying, well, you got this great guest. on. Where can I find her? So got to make sure that we let you pull it all out for them so they can know where to find. You. Yes, I'd love to have everyone join me on my journey. That's right. That's right. So speaking of your journey, my first question that I have for you today is what inspired the title of your book? You know, what inspired the title Burning It Down, Dancing in the Rubble? That's a very interesting title. And I know it has a very significant meaning. So in your own opinion or in your own words, how could you best describe what, it, what inspired you to write your book with that title? For me, burning it down meant burning down my career of over 22 years in high tech. And the second part is actually very significant, if not equally significant as the first part, dancing in the rubble. I, in my work, is very niche in that I don't talk about the healing journey of the before and the after. I talk about the middle because that's where, uh, that's where we're all living, by the way. There is no end. And so what I wanted to say is there's a lot of rubble when you deconstruct anything, whether you change jobs or change or make a big decision or anything like that, certainly when you burn down a career. And what I wanted to spend time with is to say, hey, that mess that, that ends up surfacing in that crazy, un, quote unquote, uncertain times is actually worth celebrating and looking at. And, and if I dare say, enjoy. So if you're going to burn it down, there's going to be there's going to be like, you know, your hair is going to smell like smoke and it's going to be a hot mess and you can't see clearly and that your skin is going to be hot for a long time. And so all of that part, I would say, let's celebrate it. Let's dance in the rubble. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. And it's also, you said like we're in the middle, right? We always think about our beginning and our end, right? So if I use this podcast, for example, I could think of the moment where I knew this was something that I wanted to do. That's a significant portion. And I have the end in sight where it's like, you know, all my dreams are like, but what's important is the middle part when I'm having all these conversations and when I'm, you know, developing who I am more and I'm getting more comfortable with talking to people and I'm getting more comfortable with adding new things to the show because the middle is very important. And so that's awesome. Like that, that is the, the way that you wanted to frame the book. I think that's a very amazing way to write and a way to express yourself as well. Thank you. So what inspired you to write the book? So we have the title now, boom. We understand why you call it Burning It Down. But what inspired you to write the book? And also how did your authoring journey begin? 
That's a great next question. So what inspired me to write the book was um, I was tired of the social media stories that glamorized the before and after like we're talking about. In fact, like I would hear a poet, for example, say, hey, I used to be so ashamed of my culture and now I'm so empowered by it. I am so proud of it, you know, and, you know, forget all these other people who just, you know, give shame to my culture. Well, those stories certainly made me feel empowered and like, oh, what a badass. I wouldn't be like that girl. But it also made me feel like ashamed, like I'm not there. And where is there? Is she always like that? You know? And so I was tired of going to social media for like fun and inspiration and then just feeling a little bit like, you know, I felt a little shitted on by these inspirational stories. And so I was tired of that. I was like, well, that can't be right. That just can't be right. And so that's what inspired me. Now, the second part of the question about the journey, I would say it started what feels like 100 years ago in 2003. And in 2003, I went to my first open mic poetry night because I had an executive coach who, who was helping me try to figure out why I wasn't enjoying my day job. And she's like, I think you just have a lot to say. So I ended up going to an open mic poetry night and didn't tell any of my friends because I was like, what is this? You know, I grew up having a computer science degree, hanging out with tech people. So I went and um, I shared a poem and then I sat down in my chair and I remember so clearly, because I still have this feeling every time where I'm like, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) And at the same time, I was like, I feel at home. And that's when I knew something was different. I didn't know what it was. I didn't want to name it. I didn't want to call it anything. And then I would say the second part of that journey is when um, I I started doing one woman shows actually based in my poetry and in the theater world. And one time an audience member told me later, they're like, I loved listening to your poems, but then you would go on to say the next one or, or go on to the next scene. And I just wanted to spend a little more time with it. And in my head, instantly, I had a book in my head and it was going to be a poem here and a black and white drawing here and a poem here. And I just had the visual that and that was in 2006. So I would say the journey began in 03 and 06. And then here we are. Wow. Wow. Now, what is that feeling like? Right. Because you say you went on stage for the first time and you did your poem, you did your piece and you sat down, and you said, I never want to do that again. But also, I feel right at home. I draw a lot of parallels to that when I first started recording. Like, I am so nervous. I think I don't think anyone's going to like this show. But also, I don't want to stop doing this show. So what is that feeling like, those two drastic different emotions? I don't want to do this again, but also I'm right at home. What does that feel like? It feels um, the good kind of confusing and I think I think it's so lovely that we're stopping here to talk about this d- dichotomy or you know duality is a better word for it because I think in life in order to really enjoy your messy middle is you have to be able to explain to yourself without too much logic that both of these things live together just like you can be angry at someone and deeply love them at the same time but if you get confused like oh no which side am I on am I on this side am I on that side that's so much confusion that it causes it causes so much distinction too much distinction in your brain and so so this is like the lovely kind of okay 
this is really scary and it's not going to get less scary, right? Like people are like, oh, you know, they're professional. They're used to it. Okay, maybe. But for me, that just means, yeah, I'm used to having that monster, you know, in my in the room, but the monster doesn't go away at all. In fact, you know, in fact, you get, you get to know it a little better. <laughs> right. I think it's like, it's sort of like, I sometimes I have this feeling where I'm preparing for the show or I'm about to speak with a guest. And I have that feeling like, dang, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm scared. Like, what if <laughs> I, I am so scared right now? And That's then, so real. That is so real. And then I have the, the I do the show or I have the conversation and I'm just being myself. And when it's over, I'm just say to myself, man, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I went through with it. And I didn't understand it in the beginning because I was so, I was like it was too much stimulation for me. There was the fear in the beginning. That was giving you that adrenaline. You were nervous. Maybe you sweat a little bit. And then it was after it was that relief. Like, I want to do it again right now. Like, who's who's next that I could call? Who's next on the schedule? Because this was awesome. and I had so much fun. So it's such an interesting thing, especially as creators. And we are that we're creating our own paths. Like, you know, you started in computer science. I was working in insurance before I started my podcast. So in those fields, you're taught to put your head down, focus on your work and do your work. And in this side, you want to express yourself more than you probably ever have. And so I'm always still fighting that. Well, I used to be that insurance guy. I'm not this guy. And, you know, it's but it's still that journey of still self-discovery and, you know, burning, burning it down. I'm burning down old Denzel to create room for new Denzel. So it's like awesome to hear you say it because I deal with these things all the time and no one expects it because I got a microphone in my face and I talk for a long time every week. But these are the things that are real and that are true. And I really appreciate you bringing that to the show. And I appreciate you riding on this journey with me and sharing your messy middle, because I think that's really important for our listeners, too, that, you know, we're all going through it and it's actually where we live and that's where we're swimming. That's right. That's right. So my next question for you is, what is it really like to burn down your career? I sort of I'm, I'm right with you because I burned down mine to create a new one. But in your opinion or in your words, what is it really like to burn down your career? I had an idea in my head of what it would be like to be an artist full time. And I thought that as soon as I lit that match and said, I'm not going to go on my LinkedIn and look for a new job after I got laid off, which is my normal thing to do, get creative, figure it out. When I decided that, I thought it was going to be rainbows and butterflies because this has been in the back of my mind forever to be a full-time artist. Well, it was just not that at all. It was very scary. And I think the biggest thing I would like to uplift to to the surface is the grief that when you let go of something that you even decided not to participate in, that you knew in the heart of hearts wasn't right for you, wasn't right for me, then you would think that'd be like, good riddance, let's go. And the funny thing is, you know, that was in October of 2020. Today, we're sitting in March of 2022. And just yesterday, I had another moment of grief, if I were to be honest. And It was like the sense of letting go of belonging to that organization, belonging to um, the world of corporate America, belonging to my family as a certain person in order to belong. And 
So the word belonging comes to mind that you're really shedding so much that there's real grief in sadness in letting go of the things that were not good. So I think that surprised me the most. Have you ever had a point of grief where it really like, you know, stopped you in your tracks or it made you really want to consider returning to the old, the old version of yourself? No, actually. Well, I think there was a time there's, I think the only way that that shows up is such a good question because you're making me think. I, my initial reaction was no, but I think the answer is yes. Because when I started looking for jobs, because I'm like, okay, well, I need multiple streams of income. Maybe a day job would be good as I get my business together. I was like, okay, project manager in the arts. And I was like, wait a second. I grew up as a project manager. Is this what I want? Or am I again massaging something into something I don't want, you know, doing the flip opposite, you know? And, you know, I would be a great project manager at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. I'm sure I have a lot of faith in my project management skills, but is that what I want? So I would say that that would be a moment. It's sort of like, it's not really like, let me get on the tech job search, but it is some version of that. And I have to step back and say, the whole point of burning it down was to create this embryonic version of myself starting from the way beginning. So let's look again at what I want what I want to create and what I need, you know, financially. I some I don't necessarily dream of returning to my former employer, but I oh, I do have the thought of sometimes when I'm struggling, you know, to create, sometimes when things aren't going my way in this entrepreneurial field, you always have that that nasty little thing in the back of your head is like, hey, you know, a 9 to 5 would be a lot easier. You know, you don't have to work as hard. You know, I understand what you want, but you're in the real world that oh, it always is there. It's always present. And what I try to do is just I think about that as sort of giving up in a way. You know, I was so motivated to start this because it was something I really wanted. It was something that I dreamed about doing. I always envisioned myself in this role one way or the other. And but even though that thought is present of, hey, man, you're working really hard. You could always just go back. It's like, I know once I make that commitment to go back and I find myself sitting in that cubicle that I used to be in, I would look around and say, I don't belong here. Like, I do not belong in this area. This is where I belong with this microphone. And it's a constant struggle I've learned, especially speaking to a lot of guests who have, in a sense, burned down their old lives because they are used to, so used to for the majority of their time doing this one sort of thing, used to that schedule and routine, used to that just, you know, it's simple. You, 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 you just simplify your life. I go to work 9 a.m., 5 p.m., you know, maybe I'll work out after and I come home, I cook dinner, I go to sleep, I get up, I start the day the same way. And you're so used to that hamster wheel that when, you know, you get off the hamster wheel, you're like, I don't even know how to walk. You know, like I'm so used to running in that wheel. Now I'm off the wheel. And now how do I even take a step? You know, why do I put one foot in front of the other? And what I hear all the time, though, from my from my guests, and even when I speak, when I think about it on my own, is like, it's good, though. You know, when you learn to walk, when you learn things as a child, it's fun, even though it's hard and it's, you know, uh, challenging. It's fun because you're expanding your mind. And so, like, I appreciate every single guest. And it's funny, every guest I have, 
has a version of a story similar to yours, whether they were in one field and something happened, whether it was COVID or otherwise, and now they're in this field and they're navigating it. They're having a lot of fun with it, but they're still leaning back to what they used to do in their old life because it's like what they know is like pulling them. So it's very funny every time I hear it, like you say the same thing in a different way as maybe another guest I've had or even what I say, but we're all living the same life just in a different way. And I love that you said hamster wheel, even though people say that all the time. But this time when you said it, it landed like that's really interesting because a hamster wheel will only get you so far. So when I burned it down, I sat and like I was like sitting with my emotions. Right. I didn't have emails to to distract myself from my own feelings and thoughts. So I was just left with them. And I started asking hard questions like, what do I want to do before I die? And those things, like, how am I going to move those forward? Well, if I just, if I just work to get, get my job over with, and then I work out to like decompress from my job and then eat dinner to feed myself, like then I haven't moved anything forward in my life. And that scared me. So I think that fear is really an important driver too. Yes, I think it is. I think it is. So what uh, surprised you in this writing process, right? You're not a traditional author. You're not someone who grew up in these, you know, writing camps or had all these things. So what surprised you the most in this writing process? You're right. I'm not a traditional writer. And so that means that while I have produced lots of shows in my poetry, shared my poetry, I've been more of a friends and family poet up until now. And what surprised me was that when I started the program, first, I needed a program to get it done. I've had a manuscript done for many years. I just never got it published. So I joined a program. And in this program, you have editors, which is a new thing for me. And what what surprised me was that I learned that I'm someone who can have their poems edited, where um, as before, no one looked at them and I had free reign over whatever I did. And I was probably a little bit insecure about, please don't look at my work. Please don't comment on it. Cause it felt like they were commenting on me and that separation is its own, its own podcast episode. Right. But then when, during this program, you have this um, application where you put your poems into the app and then you get little alerts when an editor is looking at your poems. And usually you have one editor at a time. Well, I was producing so much poetry that they needed backup editors. So I had three or four editors looking at my first draft in my developmental stage. And I would get these pings like, Emily is looking at your poem. This person is editing. It wasn't just my editor anymore. Samuel was my first editor. And I loved working with him. But there'd be other people. And so at first it would be like, what? And so what surprised me was, wait, I'm a person who can have their poems edited by multiple editors. And it was still within the container of the program, so it felt safe. But at the same time, what I learned, I think, from that, if I were to take a step back from that, is that I didn't know I was that until I did it. So it was this weird chicken egg thing, right? Like, you don't, you don't prepare yourself to be someone who can get edited. You kind of, I kind of jumped into the deep end because of the way the program worked and they needed backup editors and there it was. And so that surprised me. Have you gotten used to the editing process still? Like, have you, have you gotten used to people reading your work and sort of breaking it down and, you know, saying, you know, this should be here and that should be there and changing things around? Like, are you still used to that? 
Or I'm have much, you gotten used to it? I'm much better at it. I would say I'm in the I'm in the middle, speaking of the messy middle. Um, but I love it, but I love it because I have a chance to grow and learn and and reconceptualize, you know. Um, it's been it's been interesting because i I also sell custom poems, right? And so usually I get them back. I've sold five or six, which is beautiful. And so for the first several, I or for all of them up until now. I have gotten feedback like, oh, I love the first draft. I cried reading it. My recipient was beyond blown away. They're putting it on their bedroom wall. Like all these beautiful responses. And this last one, she's, she said, well, you didn't get this one part and this part doesn't resonate. So that was new for me. And I had to go back in my brain to my editing style of working to say, oh, we'll get there. This is just part of the process. So that comp, I guess I, I have developed an amount of confidence. And even if it does burn a little, I'm like, this is part of the process. So it's both back to our both and, you know? Right. Right. So, okay. That's good though. It's always, sometimes it's hard. Like, I remember when I first was doing demos, demo episodes of the show and I was sending it around. I was so scared because I was like, you know, are they saying that they don't like the show or what was put out on the show? Or are they saying they don't like me? Right. It's a difference to your work and who you are. And I had to get over that really quick because I said, listen, the Internet is one of the most ruthless places in the world. So if I can't handle my cousin telling me that I should do this differently, <laughs> how am I going to handle everybody on Twitter who maybe listens to the show? So I had to learn that really quickly. Yeah. And what helped me too, if you don't mind, is me stepping back and saying, what's my vision? What do I want to create in the world? If anything, this person's notes is going to help me see if I'm aligned with what I want, because that's the non-negotiable part. You know, that we're all in the messy middle. Like it's, we're not, there's no there anyway. So it's, it's the process. If you start falling in love with that process, it really helps, but it, it is hard. It's a challenge. Yes. Yes. Now, speaking of obstacles and overcoming things, what were some of the shortcomings and obstacles that you had to overcome when you first got started in, I want, I have this idea for this book. Now I want to get it on paper and get it to people to read. What were some of the more difficult things in that beginning process? For me, the hardest part has less to do with the writing and more to do with what some might call the boring part of time management. Mm -hmm. And for me, I didn't have a day job anymore. So you would think, oh, you want to write a book? Clear your schedule, quit your job. Well, I now didn't have a job, but I would wake up in the morning and say, you are going to write, let's say I made a goal for myself. You're going to edit eight poems, whatever. It would be then 8 p.m. and I'd have edited zero poems. So now I didn't have a day job and I was getting zero progress. So, you know, there was a, a lesson to be learned in kindness to yourself, right? Like if you keep beating yourself up every morning, that also didn't help me move the ball forward. And I did talk to um, someone in the community of writers uh, that I learned about myself that she said, Neelam, just say that you're going to sit down at 10 o'clock and write. Don't give yourself any goals. So I would. And so instead of making a goal of write three new poems in one day, I would just sit down at 10 a.m. and say, okay, I'm going to, now I'm ready and I'm going to write till I'm hungry. And once I did that, I was like, oh, okay, let's see what I've got going on. And I would have seven poems done. I'd be done, I'd be done three days of goals in like by lunch, you know? And so I think that learning about yourself and how you're motivated, I'm not saying that that structure is going to even work for me for my next book, but like you have to know in the moment 
what motivates you to sit down and write? Where, where does that work? Where doesn't it work? Are you a 20 minutes at a time kind of person or what are you? And it's, it's just a lot of looking at yourself. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, a writer like yourself could have editors. When I think of the parallels to that in the pod world, when I first started my show, you know, none of my close friends or none of the people who I associated with had ever done a podcast before. So in a way, I had to learn how to self-edit. I had to learn how to self, you know, cut things down and self-schedule and do all these things on my own. And at the very early parts of the show, the very beginning, I was burned out because I was do I was I put myself on a schedule like that that didn't work for you. I was doing that to myself. All right, I'm getting up at 9 a.m. We're gonna write down. We have, you know, get these topics that you want to talk about, find the articles, read them, write about them, figure out how you want to put it on the show, get the questions and answers from the listeners, and I and then worry, worry about the promo, do the covers, get the logo, like, and I realized, like, 11 or 12 weeks into it, I was like, okay, I'm going to work myself to death because I'm working too hard. Like, I need to find a way to be productive, but also be Denzel and not be this robot because I'm not a robot. And I learned that, you know, you have to take your time with yourself, number one. And also number two, you have to be willing to make a lot of mistakes. You know, I would, I didn't want to put out a show that I sort of would make a lot of mistakes on because I would be embarrassed. But I learned that you need that, you know, you need to make these mistakes. You need to go talk too much about a certain thing, you know, so that you learn that, okay, I can shorten this. You need to, you know, uh, tell a story that maybe is unflattering because you thought it was endearing at the time. And you listen back, you say, okay, that was an unflattering story. Okay. I won't do that again. And so I learned that you can't, I tried my best. I thought it would be the most efficient way to be a robot, to handle this like a job or handle it like, you know, be put myself on a tight schedule. But what I learned was, you know, you want this to come off as a natural thing and as some, you want people to listen to you as if they're talking to you or you're having a conversation with you. You don't want to be like, okay, this happened today. You know, this is how I feel. And then, you know, try to throw something in there that maybe people would like instead of being authentic. I had to learn that in the very beginning. And I'm glad I did because this episode, this show would have ended <laughs> two months into it. If I didn't do it that way, because I thought that I had to be the talent, the producer, the director, which I do, but I was putting so much pressure on myself. It wasn't coming. It wasn't translating that way. It sounded really robotic. It sounded like, you know, welcome to the show. Like I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't putting my personality on it because I was so concerned with dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And it is a way, yeah, it is a way that we hide to our talent by doing that. Somehow we think we're overworking, we're going to get an A plus in podcasting, but maybe we're actually finding ways to hide. Yeah, exactly. I was, that's, ex that's exactly right. I was trying to hide myself by being perfect. I was trying to hide Denzel by masking it under this, this mask of perfection or this mask of, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, just not, I was trying to be not a human and have a human experience on a show. Like that doesn't work. 
you know, um, and I had to learn that quick. Like, listen, you just got to be yourself. And there's going to be some people who like it. There's going to be some people who don't. But that's not an indictment on you. And once I figured it out, it took me about 15 weeks really to figure that out. I was like, OK, I can do that. I'm just going to do the show the way that I want to do it. And that's it. And it was a real help because naturally you just you want to do the best. You want to be your best. You know, you don't want to be less than the best. But at the same time, you're a human and a human is naturally imperfect. So you just have to embrace that and you'll 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 be better off for it. So my next question for you is what is what keeps you motivated in this space and who are some influences that have been impactful to you on your journey? What keeps me motivated are my friends around me. And what I've learned is that the more authentically I show up in life, the more I'm able to receive that support so that the friendship can go beyond the superficial nature that sometimes friendships fall into. And that goes beyond my existing friends and it goes to creating new friendships too. So one thing that's really important to me is creating an artistic community. And I'm really excited by it because I've already started building that with this author program. I've had it here in the Washington DC area with the theater community. And so I would say feeding off of the courage and the excitement and the creativity of my fellow artists really does give me the juice to keep going. And in terms of who's most influential, I would say a lot of people. But right now, the, in this conversation, Amanda Gorman is coming to mind. And it's because about a couple of years ago, I had this estimation that poetry is going to start coming into the mainstream. I don't know exactly how or when, but it seems to be happening. And uh, then Amanda Gorman popped during the inauguration. And it really gave me this sense that the world was reflecting what my intuition was saying. And so that I was onto something. So there's something about that that feels motivational, that, you know, I'm, I'm in this world as a poet and that means something and that it's making its way. It's making its way. So how, do you, how did you feel? How, what were your emotions like seeing her on that stage, knowing that your intuition was somehow becoming this reality? What does that feel like internally, right? If I see somebody who's from a small town and they create a podcast and they're, it makes me believe it. I say, wow, look at them. They did this. You know, they started at a local, uh, on an independent side and they got big and now they're on the radio or they're doing this thing. They're a national voice. That inspires me. So in you, when you see that, what feelings does that put out in you? Well, how do you feel in that moment? Well, you know, I was like on my feet. I was so excited that there was a poet and that she was getting the attention that she deserved. Um, and her work was quite beautiful. I could tell that she had done some research on previous inauguration poems, you know, and that it really hit a lot of chords because she did her job well. And so I felt definitely a moment of recognition in that, you know, she did her job well. And like, I love to do my job in a way that hopefully is well-researched and well-done and well-delivered and well-thought-out and all those things. And also leaves 
openness to like writing it spontaneously when she talks about her writing process. It felt this, I felt this familiarity that she lives in this world that I also live in. And so that was really, really, really cool. And if I were to be honest and take the step forward into the messy middle, into the mud, into what life is really like and what my book is about, there's there's the, the shame of being jealous, right? And I think that that's something that in social media, and this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because social media would be like, don't be jealous of me. I support you. I love you. And then they'll get 30,000 likes, right? Like in this short message, which is beautiful and motivational. And I'm sure people will love to hear that. Wait, I don't want to hate her. She's supporting me. But at the same time, what about that little person inside who's like, oh, why wasn't that me? Why am I not on the stage? And I actually, I kind of hate Amanda Gorman right now. Whoa, did I just say that out loud? Yes, I did, because I think, and that was hard for me to get to this place with you to say that, right? But the reason why I went there was because I'm like, that's what my book is about, you know? There's a poem in my book about like, well, what if I make you jealous and I kind of like it? So what about the opposite, you know? You can't be so full of yourself that you're like, hey, bitches, you know, look at me. But what about the part of you that is that? What about the part of you that is like, well, I want my book deals. Why did Amanda Gorman get them? You know, like you have to say the undercurrent. Why? Why is it important that you have to say the undercurrent? Because if you don't, it turns into that monster and you turn into that person who then is a jealous poet who shows up into the world as not enough, as bitter, as just mad at the world. Oh, well, the way to avoid being that bitter poet is to actually say that you're kind of a little bit bitter. Yeah, yeah, because now we both looked at the monster together, right? I'm healing in this moment by telling you about it. You might be healing a little bit of that in you. See, I hear you, I see you saying yes, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, no one else feels like this. I'm the crummy individual with this dirty, dirty jealousy. Well, that's the messy middle. That's why I want to celebrate the rubble. I want to say, look at this shame. Look at this dirty jealousy. Look at it. Let's dance in it. Because the more we dance in it, the more we have access to that part of us that's like, oh, Amanda talked about this. Let me study her poem. Let me see what I want to say about this subject. Let me see how I would have. All of a sudden, you get from distance to, to like, from distance, I mean, like, looking at this person as, a, you know, an inspiration or looking at this person as someone you hate to a, a participation. So now you're in it with them and you're participating with them. And what I mean by participating with them is you're participating in your world. You're no longer putting yourself in the closet. The second you put your shame in the closet, like, oh, I'm jealous, but let me just talk about how, look how great she is. She looks so good in yellow. Then like, as soon as I keep saying those words more and more, and the more I put the shame in the closet and the bitterness and the jealousy in the closet, I'm putting myself in the closet. A part of my spirit dies. And so if, if Amanda Gorman then shows up and I discount my jealousy feeling, I'm all over the place in my mind, right? Rather than just saying what's natural to me and what's vulnerable. So there you have it, Denzel. Wow. I, I went there. <laughs> I appreciate it. And everything you're saying is 100% true. I just felt like you gave me like a nice five minute mini therapy session because sometimes I feel the exact same way. Like I'm working so hard. Why aren't people resonating? Why aren't people gravitating to me the way they're gravitating to someone else? Why aren't people showing me that, you know, love and admiration? I'm putting the work in. Where's my day to hold up the award like the Oscar or something? Where's my day to have 
40,000 people like something I post on Instagram. And I, and, and when you, and you, but right after you say that, or you think it to yourself, you say, I shouldn't think that that's, that's wrong. You know, they, they had, they worked hard just like I did, you know, they're not better than me. They just, you know, are in a better position right now. Throw that away. Don't think that. And although you need to think that sometimes I look at it as motivation, you know, I look at God, I love listening to other podcasts. Sometimes they make me mad though, because I feel like my podcast is better. Why are they number one on Apple charts? You know, not me. <laughs> um, but at the same, it makes you work harder because you say, okay, this is possible. I can get there because they got there. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, screw them or F them because they're a little more successful than me. It's only just going to motivate me to do better, work harder and be more authentic and true to myself because that's how you achieve the success. I don't think there is a formula like math. You do this, do this formula X plus Y equals Z and you achieve success. Everyone's formula is different. And the, these, are the, these are the things that I'm learning every day. Yeah, there's no like follow these rules and then get this degree and then do this thing. And I would add to what you said about how you're like, I use that as motivation is because for me to use it as motivation, I have to first actually go there and be like, I hate them, you know, and really mean it and and actually, actually mean it and be like, I don't want them to succeed. You know, get out of my effing way. Yeah. And that's not nice. That's nope. not me. That's not who I am at the core. But, but, but if, if I don't, if I don't trust myself that I can go there, then I can't get to that part of, all right, well, what's next? Give it to me. Cause you, you constantly, you have this little bit of stress in the back of your mind, cycling, cycling. And if, if you're just living with that stress, it's hard to really participate in the present moment. Well, let me tell you something. I really appreciate this impromptu therapy session. I really needed this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you said at the beginning. I think the both and, right? Like, and by both and, and that's why I talk about dancing in the rubble, because it's not that we're trying to get through the rubble in order to get to the the enlightenment or whatever it is that we're trying to get to, the number one podcaster in the world, right? Well, it's not that, it's that we're doing both. And if we don't, if we don't, elevate our shame to I am allowed to feel like this thing that you're not supposed to feel whoever whoever made up that rule then you'll never feel what you're trying to get to because the okay let's be honest if Denzel becomes the number one podcaster in the whole world are you going to go to bed at night happy well there's so many other things that promote your happiness right so then then you discount all of that too you just become this bitter podcaster right where you're like why aren't i number one right instead of enjoying the fucking middle (laughs) i mean and and i'm not saying i have the answers why am i telling you this because i'm giving therapy to myself okay (laughs) yes It, it is so true it is so true like because i look at it sometimes and i go you know these people aren't working as hard as me you know like why, why are they getting all of this? They couldn't last one minute doing all the things that I do for my show. How, why is it that more people are listening to them? And at the, begin, the very beginning, it's just like, dang, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't be like that. 
you shouldn't have that emotion attached to that, you know, but then, and, but the longer you go and you say, no, what? No, I'm, I'm glad that I feel that way because if I woke up every day and I said, my podcast is the best and there's nothing I need to do differently. And that's true. Oh, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm 100% perfect. Then I would never grow. I would never change. My show would go stagnant and stale. And then no one, zero people would listen to it. That's a beautiful thought. Man, I really see this is why having a podcast is so great. I get to have quick therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't need to get show my insurance. I didn't need a copay. This was I'm here. Quick and I'm easy. here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. So my next question for you, Neelam, is what is some advice that you would give to a young person? who approached you and said they wanted to start their own business, they wanted to start their own creations, or they wanted to have their own movement. What is some great advice you can give to someone who's much younger than you who wants to start and break into this space of creativity? Yeah. For me, the way I think about that question is, what do I wish someone had told me when I first started? And it's a lesson that I'm learning now, which is um, your desire to make something is honorable. Having a desire is honorable. That it's not a mistake that you woke up and this desire came into your body, right? Let's not, I mean, I don't know who believes in what, but there's a spiritual element. Like, why was I born with this desire? Why is this desire? Why can't I shake this desire? Well, I want to reframe that desire to something honorable and that you're not weird because you have this desire. You have this desire because you have this desire. I also don't want to inflate it as something important important meaning overly important because it's true. I wake up in the morning, like I'll die if I don't express myself. I don't know where that came from, but it's true. And it's important to me. Uh, So I would take the shame out of that desire, but I think we have to go speaking of therapy one step further. Okay, Neelam, that's great. Let me take the shame out of it. Well, I think one way to look at that as how do I take the shame out of it is first is two parts. If you don't mind, One that helped me was sitting with the shame. Like I'm an artist and okay, I'm really going to go there. Like I really felt deep inside outside of my, um, my polite, Oh, artists are valuable. Artists are great. Deep inside. I felt like I was a loser because I was an artist. Okay. Where did that come from? The world, right? There's no pointing fingers. Everyone is a reflection of everything. So there you have it. And so I had to stop and say, not, Neelam, you're not a loser. Look at all these artists. Look at that. They're great people, whatever. What helped me was to like lean into the shame. Like if the shame is an electric fence, that's only letting me live my life like this. I have to get um, charged a little bit by that and feel it. But the difference is that I'm not the feeling. I'm observing myself, get charged by it and sit. It's disgusting. It doesn't feel good. It is not pleasant. I don't recommend sitting in it for a very long time, but just a little charge. And what that does, it makes you see more clearly. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Now this monster of I'm a loser because I'm an artist. This is really vulnerable because it's so alive, but like, I'm a loser because I'm an artist now sits in the room and you're like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, rather than it being in your driver's seat, that's where you get you start getting off-roaded from your heart is because what's driving is that person who's like, you're a loser. So let's not be a loser, you know, and just takes the car rolls with it. And then the second part is to say, why do I feel shame is because others might have put that on me, right? Like they might not say the words, but 
they people say a lot by not saying anything, right? Like we're a family of dentists. So why are you wanting to be, you know, a poet? Why does the word poet come up as the extreme example? Well, I'm trying to make it more mainstream so that we take the charge out of the word poet. But anyway, um, so then I think instead of being like, I'm not too much, I'm just too much for them because that causes judgment too. Then you're like, well, you know, I don't know. It just causes more stress for me when you start thinking of short, shortcut ways to feel better in the moment. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm too much. They're so little, their viewpoint is so small. And yeah, maybe that's true, but to use that as your ammunition to yourself puts you in a place of feeling a little, better than, more than. And that's a stressful place to live in, to constantly feel like you're better than someone. It really is. And so instead, I would say, let's look at this person is is grounded in their life based on certain assumptions. And that makes them stay afloat. It makes them thrive. It makes them survive. So why am I judging someone for how they thrive and how they survive? They see the world in certain, let's say a small box. They see Neelam is a computer scientist. I'm using extreme example. And that's the only reality that they can live with. Well, that's because they've structured their lives on that reality in order to survive, in order to create a life that is of thriving. If they let loose on that, they let loose on their ability to breathe in a world that makes sense to them. And why would I want to deprive someone of their way of survival? And so that's where I'm going to like create compassion for that person and for myself. So then the question doesn't become, why don't they like me? Why don't my parents understand me? Why doesn't anyone like me? No one likes me into the question. Once you start creating some neutrality around this person feels this way, because that's their way of being healthy, you know, quote unquote, you can, again, I don't want to judge anyone if they're not, if I may be extreme, if they're not killing themselves, they're surviving. And so I'm not going to discount someone for surviving. And then the question stops becoming, why don't they get me? No one understands me. My family doesn't love me. And it becomes, okay, where are my people at? And then you can actually go and find your people because it's hard to accept the love from your people if you're still grieving relationships that don't work. So that's my long-winded way of saying your desire is a noble one. Man, listen, you, I'm going to put this bug in your ear. I don't know if this is going to resonate with you. Miss Neelam, I think you need to start motivational speaking classes. I am super energized by that because I'm listening. I'm just, I'm just like, wow, like, yeah, this is it. Like, so I want to put that in your ear. I think you'll be a great motivational speaker. I'm very motivated by listening to that, to listen to you speak, because everything you're saying is like the way that you feel going through, again, the messy middle. You feel these, well, I'm. why can't they understand that this is how I want to express myself? Why can't they understand that this is what I feel like I'm destined to do? Why don't people support this? And because they see it, because I feel like I'm being so pure in what I'm trying to accomplish. Why is it so hard to, for people to see that this is something I was going to do, whether I was going to get paid a million dollars for it or zero dollars, you know, and you just, why can't they see me as more than that, you know, that kid that they went to middle school with, or the kid that they used to go to the cafeteria with, or the kid who used to work with them in the next cubicle, you know, I'm so much more than how you see me. And you're saying, it, it's just like, wow, like I probably never even like gave that real thought and just like to hear it. 
It's just like, yeah, this is how you feel when you're going through these processes. This is how you feel when you're frustrated. You don't have the answers. And because you don't have the answers in the moment, you always put in it on yourself. I don't understand this question. I don't understand what the answer is. So it's my fault. You know, I don't understand how to get the solution to this. So I, it's, I'm to blame for it. And it just like, and I'm just sitting here like, wow, like she's really breaking it down, man. Tony Robbins be damned. Okay? <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, you know, just starting. I don't know where I stand in this, but it is interesting because now what's coming to mind is what I told you that when I had an executive coach back in 2003, by executive coach, I mean like a career coach. And they said to me, you have a lot to say and say in public. And now you're saying it. So that's two messages for me. Well, listen, man, I appreciate the motivational speech. I feel like I'm going to go and, you know, conquer the world after this. And I I had a free motivational speech and a free therapy session. <laughs> I think we need to add two more titles to, <laughs> to your bio because you, you're wearing a lot of hats right now. And I really appreciate it. Awesome. I'm glad it's landing. That's really helpful for me to hear. So thank you for sharing and reflecting back. Yes, yes. And one of my last questions for you is, what is your hope for the book? You know, what, what are your, your, not necessarily your goals in terms of success, but what is your hope for the reader who reads it or for the person who listens to this podcast and listens to you speak? What is your hope for anyone out there who receives anything that you create? I have a very specific goal. And that is that people always say, and it's true, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a therapist. I don't want to be one. But it is true, and you might find it true too in your own experience, that when you are in a place that's not comfortable, it's helpful to talk about it with someone. Your friend, your neighbor, your dog, your microwave, like a therapist. And what I find is that it's hard to get there, to talk to someone. You know, Brene Brown, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, she talks about shame. And I just think that what we don't talk about is how hard it is to get there. Those fear monsters we're talking about, we're making fun and we're laughing as we're talking, but that shit is real. Like those fears really take you down and you can't, they're so scary that you can't even speak the words out loud because that would then turn you into that person who is something that could get you abandoned by your family or get you. And these, these fears are real, right? And I can't ignore them. And so my hope for the book is that by me sharing and revealing, hey, this is how I feel when I'm angry. I have a rage, I have lots of rage poems in there because it's only when I feel my anger that I can then show up in the world whole. And so I want to give comfort to that. So my hope for the book is that someone who's feeling a certain way and so ashamed they don't even know they feel it, right? Will read the book, tap into that place and get to a place where they can verbalize it. So I'm not saying I need the credit, like, oh, I read on page 268 of Neilan's book, you know, da, 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 but just so that they, they recognize themselves so that they can speak the words. And I think speaking the words is, is just hard. We're all like, it's, you know, don't live a life of regrets, follow your dream. Like, but that follow your dream is so hard. It's so scary. You have to face these things that are real. So my hope for the book is that people don't feel alone, even if they don't share, that they feel less alone. Man, <laughs> Woo. I feel like I watched Oprah. I feel <laughs> like 
I watched, you know, just all these great things on, you know, inner reflection. That's really what it is, because as you're speaking, I'm going through those moments in my mind. I'm going through those moments of, you know, I don't want to talk to somebody that I feel like my podcast isn't good. I don't want to talk to anyone about how I feel like I can't manage to do another show because I'm overwhelmed or how how upset I am that people who I believe aren't working as hard as me are having more success. You know, I don't want to talk about these things, even though I need to. So that way I can move on from them. And so that's wow, man. I'm telling you, motivational speaking is in your future. I don't know if that's the lane you want to walk down. I'm going to call you. Future. I'm going to call you if I ever get my first gig as that as a keynote. Yes. And, and I, I mean, I'm going to need to sit up front with a box of tissues. So that <laughs> so I could cry my eyes out in the same space. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I want to <laughs> add to what you said about talking about these things is what's really important is the safety, you know, going around telling everyone everything is a misuse of your own privacy. It's disrespect for yourself. So think about who you're telling and that you're telling, right? Like, hey, you can even couch it. Hey, I'm about to say something that's vulnerable. You know, do you have the capacity to take it or handle it or whatever? And I think I just have to add that because if you walk away from this podcast, like Neilam told me to talk about my shame and you tell everyone, you might end up with more shame. And it's okay. We can work through that too, everybody. But but protect yourself. Like there's a reason why it was so hard in the first place, you know? So um, yeah, I, I just see a lot of people feeling less alone, even if they don't, I'm not. And, and that's the thing why I'm so niche is that I'm not like, okay, I want people to do this and then take action and call a therapist. I want people to do this, read this and call their f- best friend. What if they're not ready to call their best friend? What if they don't want to call their best friend? I am in support of wherever you are in your process. I'm not here to change you. I'm just here to, to, to show you something that I've got inside of me. Man, I feel like I should take this title and of podcast host and like switch it over to you. So that way I could just listen to you talk for like the rest. (laughs) Well, you're, you're giving me a platform. You're the one who's bringing this out in me, right? Like I joined this podcast out of curiosity, see what I have to say. So you, you're, you're creating the place and the space for me. Well, I listen, I definitely appreciate it. We work together. I created the space and you gave me a lot of information, a lot of good stuff today. So I appreciate it. Love it. And my last of my quote unquote serious questions for you, Neilam, today is what are you reading now? What are the things that are catching your eye or that you're really inspired by? Who are some authors that you really are liking right now? Who is on your Amazon Audible queue of things to read? <laughs> um, I did say that I would be prepared to answer that question and I do have a good answer for it. But since we're talking messy middle, where am I? Where's Neela Matt really on her reading list? I have been writing about shame. I have been writing about intense things. So there's two books I'm reading right now. One is Intercepted, and it's a it's a fiction book that's a romance, and it's about it's about uh, the wives and girlfriends of football players. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> This poet needs a break from poetry. <laughs> That's funny because if someone is to ask me what are the podcasts I'm listening to right now, I'd yeah. be like, I'm not listening to any. Like, <laughs> I'm not listening to any podcast. Like, I'm just I'm watching good, funny TV shows. Like, I'm watching things to get me out of the podcast thing. In the beginning, I would listen to podcasts all the time. 
But now it's like, that's the last thing I want to do is sit down and listen to a podcast. And I'm sure that will change at some point, right? Like when you get interested or when a podcast content really speaks to you, right? Right. Um, and then the other thing I'm reading is uh, is Ballad of Dreams by Alison Hernandez, hey. who is a guest, who was a guest of yours. And I met her in the in the writing program I was in and we built a community. You don't have to write alone. And it's one of my favorite things to do is pour love into my friends. And I feel like reading this book of hers, I can hear her voice. It feels like, you know, and, and it was a gift. The book is such a gift. Yes, shout out to Alison Hernandez. Yes, an alum, an alumni of yes. the Bronx Wives podcast. Yes, shout out to that's Allison. Right, that's right. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move right along, and you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers Neighborhood. Instagram is R O D G E R S N E I G H B O R H O O D. Twitter is the exact same, except there are no vowels in neighborhood on Twitter. And Neelam, something I do every show, which is really fun, and it's one of my favorite parts of the show, is I answer questions from the listeners of the show. It's a great way to keep them involved. It's a great way to keep them engaged. And it's a great way to sort of break up the conversation that we're having, even though I really appreciate this therapy session that we've had today. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a great way to sort of change the tone of the show, have answered some lighthearted questions, and have some more fun with it. So I would love for you to answer some of the questions from the listeners so they can learn a little bit more about what makes Neelam Neelam. All right. So my first question for you from the listeners is, and this is a good one. Uh Uh-oh. What was the worst date you have ever been on? (laughs) Okay. Caveat, I was young. I was judgmental. Okay. (laughs) So I went on a date with a guy who we went to dinner. It was a lovely dinner. We went, he's like, do you want to go back to my place for a drink? And I've known him through the community of people that I used to hang out with. So I trusted him. I know him. I know his people. So I went went to his place. And when we were there, he's like, oh, by the way, I think I have a rat and I'm not sure. So I have these traps around. And I was instantly like everything of like openness and everything shut down. How can someone have, I mean, they live in the city. Of course there's rats, but I was not. I was not emotionally intelligent enough to allow that to be a part of my date. And so I was like, okay, whatever. I put my umbrella down. It's a rainy night. I don't know. We're hanging out. We're having drinks. We're having fun. And then in like behind him, I see this rat literally walk across like far from me. But then I made up some excuse to leave. And I was like, I think I saw a rat. I don't know. It was just, I was disgusted. And then, um, so then we go on a second date and I was like, okay, be mature. He had a rat. He's taking care of it. I don't know why he let me into his house. That was a mistake on his part, but I wasn't, again, I was too young. So then we got a second date and we're walking around and I left my umbrella there on purpose because I was like this is the rat house you know because <laughs> why because I was a jerk and I was like I don't want anything to do with anything to let me get out of here <laughs> he brings this umbrella on my second date Neilam, you forgot your umbrella what a kind nice man no I took it like oh my god and I have to hold this umbrella this whole second date I didn't have the words yet to confront him about how I felt about everything which now of course I could but So then walking around this umbrella, we go to get ice cream in this like beautiful gelato shop. It was a very cute date. And then I have ice cream and I purposely leave the umbrella 
at the place. Cause now I'm like, oh, free of that rat night, you know? And then we're walking like maybe a, a block and he's like, Neelam, you don't have your umbrella. <laughs> he ran back, got my umbrella. And now I'm <laughs> like, darn. So then finally the end, the end of the date comes. He walks away. I wait for him. And luckily we're walking in different directions in the city. I wait for him to be totally out of sight. And I, I still remember the trash can. I dropped it in. I drop it into a trash can and I walk home. I don't know that it's the worst date. I'm sure I've had worse dates, but it's kind of the most like, I don't know, immature and funny date, you know? And it makes me think now thinking about the messy middle, like, okay, why were you so disgusted? What does disgust mean? Were you disgusted in yourself? Is there something about you that's disgusting? Let's talk about disgust. But no, back then I was like, that mouse man, I'm not dating him. <laughs> you add that umbrella kept following you. That umbrella would not let you go. You were trying to abandon that umbrella so much. And it kept coming back. It kept coming back. It kept coming back. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you go somewhere today or tomorrow, or whatever, and you see like that same umbrella in the oh store. Oh my God, something. it's just following me around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm so different now. I was like, why would I throw away a good umbrella? I would have like cleaned it and given it to somebody, but nope. <laughs> well, you can't, well, this is the message. This is what we take from this. You can't run away from the umbrellas in your life. <laughs> you can't run away from the umbrellas. Deal with it. It's going to fall. That is actually profound. Look at you. Who's the poet? Who's the poet in this podcast? Listen, I, I got it all from you, right? It's, it's like <laughs> osmosis. I'm getting it from, from like it. being in proximity. Love it. <laughs> We're mirroring each other. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So my next question for you from the listeners is, what horror story do you have from a job that you have previously had? Yes. Well, it's not exactly a job. So I'm going to take liberty with this awesome question. And it's an acting class I took. So I'm also an actress. And so in this theater class, I was my um, teacher on purpose gave me a character that I wasn't yet prepared for, which is how they usually do things, stretchy. So it was a New York City cop. And I have this tendency to be overly nice and not stand my ground. Oh, back then. And so... Um, then after class, and everyone knows in the class, we're a pretty close group, knows what the teacher's trying to do, what I'm trying to do, and how I'm still working on getting there. And so we go out for drinks after, right across the street from the theater. And um, nobody is taking our drink orders. So I was like, this is my chance to find that person in me. I go up to the bar, like I own the place. And I'm like, excuse me. And someone turns around and I'm like, and I turn around, I'm like, what's everyone's orders? And I get everyone's orders. I give the orders. And everyone like cheers me on because they know what this moment meant. It wasn't just the fact that I ordered drinks for everybody. It was that it was so out of character, found a new place in me. And then, <laughs> and then two minutes later, this woman walks out of the back of the bar. And she looks, you know how people who own a place look like they own a place? Yes. This woman clearly owned this place and or, or had a high management position. She comes up to me. And goes, excuse me, ma'am. I'm like, yeah. She goes, are you the person who just ordered drinks from my bar keep who uh, from my uh, the person who like cleans the bar? What are they called? I forget. But are you the person who just ordered drinks from my employee who doesn't speak English? (laughs) (laughs) Crash down to earth. You were, you were, you were a giant, you were a giant and you just 
It just crashed straight down. Yes, that's me. What are your drink <laughs> orders? Okay, let me tell you. Now I have special, you know, a special, I don't know, moment of like giving my drinks orders to this owner feeling like I had just like, you know, I just wanted to hide. <laughs> well, see, that's reality. Like, you know, sometimes we get out of touch with reality. Like we think like we're just, you know, whatever, even though you were trying to like empower yourself because that's what you had just learned. And it just came out the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. See, these are happy accidents. That's what I would call that. A happy oh, I accident. I like that. I like that. And hey, what a great story. All right. Right? Awesome. Awesome. And my last question for you from the listeners is, who would you most like to sit next to on a 10-hour flight and why? No question. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. To bring us back down to earth, um, to live a life in contention is, it, it, it shows up in my life in so many like small ways that now I'm getting emotional. Like I can't imagine making a life of that, of that need to express himself. You know, he's an artist in, in that way a politician in my in my opinion everyone who's an artist if they're creating something in the world and to have that need and that, that inspiration to do something that is so much stronger than whatever is outside of him you know I want to learn his messy middle so I would spend that time and also taking breaks from it to laugh but learning about his messy middle like what are the times and I'm watching some documentaries about him which I'm always doing and there are times where he does express like, oh, I went too far in like, in fact, like that famous, I have a dream speech, which we all love, um, or I think a lot of people love. He even expresses that he might've gone too far in his optimism to create a sense of reality for everybody. So for him to say, oh, I went, just like you said, like in my podcast, I talked too much about this. I did this. Well, guess what? Martin Luther King did too. And so can we please take the people who made such an impact on the world and like learn about their humanity, the real humanity, so that we who are learning to do things that are in opposition from whatever the world is bringing us. And I would almost say that because of COVID, dare I use that word, still in our vocabulary, that we're all doing a bit of that, of like, how do I want to create my life? How do I want to do things that are in opposition to what I've been doing? Even if the person that you're fighting is your previous version of yourself, right? So I think there would be so much value in learning well, how did Martin Luther King do it? And how did he deal with his mistakes when he was trying to make it up from the ground up? Wow, great perspective. Look at you, man. Look at you, Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, all these great people wrapped into one, man. What a pleasure oh, this has been. What a compliment. <laughs> what a pleasure this has been. I really appreciate everything that you brought to the show. And uh, there's a great answers to the questions. I hope the listeners loved your answers. And Lastly, but not leastly, we I would love to open the floor up to you and I would love for you to share one of your beautiful poems with us, um, maybe from your book or otherwise, just something that really touches you, something that you think is really impactful. I would love to open up the floor for you and have you read a Neelam original on the Bronx Bias podcast. Can you do that for us? I can and I would love to. The title for this poem is... I am a bottom feeding fish. That's I am a bottom feeding fish. 
I am sometimes a bottom feeding fish, slimy, green with envy, dripping negativity, screeching out my familiar tracks. Why him and not me? Congratulations. I hope she messes up. I fantasize a momentary glee like a sugar rush. In my thoughts, I am sticking out my foot so they trip on their way up. My green-eyed monster may seem slimy and green, stink like moldy seaweed, but I am not disgusting. My bitterness was never the crazy auntie I lock up in the attic. It is only the closed door that makes her unhinged. I ask my envy what she is hungry for. How much will be enough to feed her? Her words open me up to the next part of the ocean, my ocean, the next juncture in my vast adventures. Sometimes I even thank her. Wow, man. Great. Wow. So great. And it's a great poem because we discussed that that aspect of how we're fighting those those feelings in ourselves and how we want to proverbially stick our foot out and trip someone who we feel like is running past us. And it's just like, and then you also have to ask yourself the question, what is it going to take for me to not feel this way? Right. And, and when you're going through that process, you know, how far am I going to have to get for me to not feel this way? Or what are the things that are going to need to happen to me for me to let go of that feeling? Like, is getting to number one on the podcast charts gonna make this go away? You know, like you even have to ask yourself those types, those types of questions. And then when you realize you say, I don't even think me reaching this success that I feel like is something that I want so bad will make me whole is when you start to figure out that you have to appreciate that side of you that looks at others in a sort of envious way and work past it or motivate you to become these people who have elevated past you or you feel like have elevated past you. And in reality, sometimes one thing I've done sometimes is I've talked to people who I feel like are ahead of me and they'll say things about me that they feel like I'm doing better than them. And then you realize, wow, like this is really all in your head. You know, this is really just, I don't want to say a figment of your imagination, but a fabricated image of what's going on. You know, yeah, you don't have all the information. Yeah, you don't. And the data, the data will show you otherwise. But if those feelings still remain, even after you have all that data in your brain, like it's a mirror. And I think you said it best, like, well, what, what will it take for me to not feel this way? It's more like what? Yeah. And so for me, I had, I had seen a woman publish a book of poems and I was like, that's my book. She stole my dream. In fact, there's a book in a, a poem in the book called she stole my dream about her. And when I then wrote my first draft and wrote a manuscript, I felt less of that sting, but I had to feel the, back to what we were saying. I had to feel the sting first. I had to really, and it's not a metaphorically, you know, well, it is metaphorical. You're not really tripping anybody, but the, the feeling is real. You're not just pretending to feel that. And yeah, I know it's like, no, I really want to trip her. I, you know, I really want to see her fall. And like to really go there, then you're like, whoo, my mind is clear now wait, what do I want? What can I do? What would it take to, wait, if I want to write a, if it's the book I'm mad about, what, what would it take to write a book? Oh, well, I have some poems. Oh, well, if I collected them. Oh, well, how many days would that take? All those productive thoughts can start rolling in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. What a great podcast today, man. I really appreciate you, Neelam. 
I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, get, please give me that virtual hug. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate all the great things that you had to say today. I appreciate that impromptu therapy session that we had. <laughs> I really want you to start that motivational speaking. And there's nothing left for me to do for you, but roll out the red carpet for you. I would love for, re- for you to reiterate your name. And I would love for you to reiterate all the places that the people can find you. Awesome. What a gift to be on this podcast with you, Denzel. Thank you so much. You can find me at Dance with Neelam. And I'm going to take a cue from your cards and spell that. It's it's Dance with Neelam, D-A-N-C-E-W-I-T-H-N-E-E-L-A-M like Mary. That's Dance with Neelam. And that's on Instagram. It's at Dance with Neelam. Facebook, you can find me, Dance with Neelam. And you can find me on my website, tailoredpoetry.com. And you can find my book on Amazon, Join Me in the Messy Middle, Dance with Me in the Rubble. You can get it on Amazon, Burning It Down, Dancing in the Rubble by Neelam Patel. Yes, yes, yes. And lastly, for you, it is tradition on here on the Bronx Bias Podcast that we allow our guest to choose a song that we end our podcast with. So the honor is yours. What song would you like to play for the good people out there? Lizzo, Juice, let's go. Let's go. Yes, go. Thank you so much again for that, for this beautiful conversation. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate just being able to express all those things. You know, I'm not usually talking to the guests about. (laughs) I really appreciate that. I wish you nothing but success in the future. And thank you so much once again for coming on the show. Same with you. I'll be following your journey as well, Denzel. Thank you. All right. Round of applause for my guest for today, Neelam Patel. Round of applause. And that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 94 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel. I want to say a special, special, special thank you to my guest for today, Neelam Patel. I really appreciate the conversation that we had today. I really appreciate your perspective on a lot of things. I really appreciated that impromptu therapy session because Lord knows I needed that. I needed that shit like crazy. I really appreciate that. I wish you nothing but love and success in the future. I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who's active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast merchandise and the brand new Bronx Bias blog available on the website BronxBiasPod.com. All the support I can receive on the merchandise and the blog is completely necessary and vital to the life of the show. So don't be shy. Please go on there. Check it out. Hook yourself up with some nice gear or read some of the posts that are up there. Um, Also, very important, if you are a writer or artist of any kind and you would like somewhere to display your work, if you like somewhere to publish your work, um, the Bronx Buys blog could be the place for you. Um, You do not 
have to be from the Bronx to have your work displayed on the Bronx Bias blog. The more creators and collaborators I can receive on the blog, the better it will be in general. I like the idea of having this open platform for all types of creators, all types of artists to come on and share their work and display all their stuff. I think that's really cool. Um, so if you're out there and you want to get, you know, get some writing out there or get some of your art out there, feel free to hit a brother up. We can work together. I have no problem publishing your work. I have no problem giving credit to all your things and providing all your social medias and your website so people can find you. Do not be shy. The site again is bronxbiaspod.com. Check it out and hit me up if you're interested in displaying some work on the Bronx Bias blog. And lastly, I'm going to fade you guys out today with a great, great, great song, which was my guest Neelam Patel's choice. And it is called Juice by Lizzo off of the album Cuz I Love You. And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 94. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there and be safe. And I'll speak to you guys next week. And we are out. Don't even gotta try